Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Back Room. I'm Andy Ostroy. Hello, everyone. This is Donald Trump, hopefully your favorite president of all time, better than Lincoln, better than Washington, with an important announcement to make. I'm doing my first official Donald J. Trump NFT collection right here and right now. They're called Trump Digital Trading Cards. These cards feature some of the really incredible artwork pertaining to my life and my career. It's been very exciting. You can collect your Trump digital cards, just like a baseball card or other collectibles. Here's one of the best parts. Each card comes with an automatic chance to win amazing prizes like dinner with me. I don't know if that's an amazing prize, but it's what we have. Or golf with you and a group of your friends at one of my beautiful golf courses, and they are beautiful. I'm also doing Zoom calls, a one-on-one meeting, autographing memorabilia, and so much more. We're doing a lot. As you can uh, hear, uh, the 2024 presidential campaign officially kicked off yesterday with Trump's first policy uh, position. I mean, is this nuts, the, the trading cards? Is this crazy? It, just when you think it can't get any crazier, it gets crazier. The only part that was missing is the throwing in of a free peeler, if you order now. <laughs> it slices Popeil. The Popeil. It slices it dices. Pertaining to my life and my career, I'm sorry, when was Trump an astronaut or a cowboy sheriff or a NASCAR driver or a football coach or uh, a Top Gun fighter pilot? Did I miss that? I also missed the laser beams coming out of his eyes. But that was the best part. That was actually the best part, I think, because the rest of the photoshopping was horrendous, like something I would do. I also love the part where he's like, you know, and the most amazing part is, you know, you get to go to dinner with me. And then he, and then he like counters that, like he criticizes his own amazing deal by saying something like, well, I don't know how, how amazing that would be, actually. The only true statement he made. Yeah. And so, it, but it's just, it's all bonkers. It's nothing but a grift. It's always been a grift. His brainwashed base is just they're too brain dead to realize that all this guy gives a shit about is taking their money, just like he did with the Stop the Steal, you know, legal defense campaign, you know, $100 million. Where'd that money go? It didn't go to anything. It didn't go to candidates. When his pocket. It's unbelievable. People like Steve Bannon, Flynn, the New York Post, which said, don't give any money to con, ar- con artist Trump. He's gotten so many people to come out in the last 24 hours criticizing this as the worst move ever, especially at this particular time. And nothing's actually changed with him. It's just that he's not winning for them. So now they're turning on him. But if he was winning with this message, they'd be fine with it. Yeah. And, you know, the the crazy thing is, is like if we recall decades ago when Mike Dukakis put on a helmet and sat in a tank, well, what did that do? It It tanked his campaign, right? Now, the first time this guy speaks to his base as a presidential candidate it's to sell $99 digital trading cards. Like, he, he clearly has not, there's nothing, there's nothing there. But it is, it is interesting to see the power elites, if you will, the donors and the Bannons and all those. Uh, it does look like he's a wounded animal and they're, they're, they're moving away from him. Yes, but if he does win the primary, they will be giving him billions of dollars. Yeah, never, ever count this man out. No, ever. no. But, you know, there is a... The polls that came out in the last few days, he is at the worst levels he's ever been at. The, the head-to-head matchups with, with Biden and DeSantis, he's he's losing big. There's anywhere from 60 to 70 percent, depending on which poll you look at, 60 to 70 percent of the Republican base that does not want him running again. Jen, you're 100 percent right, but I do feel like something's 
different now. And, and when you can throw in all the investigations and the, and the legal troubles that he has and the likelihood that he's going to get indicted, 17 counts of fraud that the Trump or like the business troubles he has, it, it just seems like the walls are not closing in on him, that they're actually crumbling on him. But you're right. he's He's been Teflon before up until now. And, you know, who knows? The Meadows text that came out, I think, is also a big problem for him because it shows that there was a a literal vast right-wing conspiracy to steal the election and overthrow the government and keep him in the Oval Office. And so January 6th committee uh, has its last hearing on Monday. They're going to vote on uh, criminal referrals to the Justice Department. They're also going to issue their final report on Wednesday. And that's just another straw that might be breaking this camel's back finally. Yeah, I think when historians look back, it is possible that the NFT trading cards are the moment he jumped the shark. Yeah. And before we move on to the next subject, uh, I do want to say that uh, comically, we are still following the rankings of the podcast overseas. We are this week number five in Barbados and Finland. And we're still ranking pretty high in Russia. I'm not sure why, but so we'll keep following that. Important numbers. Yes. Let's talk about DeSantis for a second, because right now in Florida, he's moving to uh, impanel a grand jury to investigate um, the, uh, the the wonderful world of COVID vaccinations. Uh, he's on a rampage now against manufacturers and executives of those companies and any entity that uh, was in charge of disseminating information because um, he feels that... Uh, the COVID vaccines cause myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart. And uh, he wants to get to the bottom of it. And you would think that, you know, with this this effort that's happening right now with DeSantis, that that was always his position, that he always felt that there's something wrong with the vaccine. So let's go to the tape and uh, see what he had to say early on. Today is the day we're going to hit our two million wow. senior vaccinated. And I couldn't think of a better fella to be able to have that honor. So uh, I think we have the Pfizer vaccine yep. ready to go. Well, I had also the privilege to be able to actually sign for the vaccines from FedEx. It's a single dose. You take it one time. You don't have to worry about it. Florida to be at almost 50 percent statewide. That's much better than almost uh, probably 45 or 46 other states. And um, we're going to give them more because we want to want the shots to go in the arms. Uh, versus what? The butts? Like, <laughs> like, OK. OK, that was that was DeSantis, like, I guess, about a year and a half ago when he was before uh, for the vaccines, before he was against the vaccines. But of course, now he's he's uh, contemplating a run for the presidency and uh, he's not going to win the presidency unless he wins the crazy brainwashed Trump crowd, uh, the cultists. The, all the culture war people, and that's all this is. Uh, it's kind of shocking, actually, because it's so blatant and shameless uh, to flip-flop that way when he previously had taken so much credit for it. But uh, we're going to see a lot more of that, I'm sure, as this campaign uh, unfolds. This brings us to our uh, favorite segment of the opening part of our podcast, which is uh, Maddie's update and rant on... Uh, our favorite company and chief twit, Elon Musk. Yeah, so, so I think this week what we learned, uh, what we already knew, but we relearned, is that Musk is anything but pro-speech. He's pro-Musk. And essentially what he did is to first throw off a Twitter user, uh, he suspended their account of uh, Jack Sweeney, who basically tweeted automatically 
everywhere that Elon Musk's private plane was, his Gulfstream. That wasn't enough. He then had to go after the journalists that were covering Jack Sweeney. And so he suspended seven journalists yesterday, uh, including someone named Aaron Rupert, who I want to give a shout out to because he has a great substack called Public Notice and people should subscribe to it. But of course, you can't get rid of someone who's providing public information because immediately this person went to Mastodon and as of this morning has 42,000 followers tusking all of uh, Elon Musk's plane locations. So basically, he is out of control, uh, which is what we kind of knew before, but now he's showing that he has absolutely no interest in free speech and uh, he's going to just keep suspending journalists who cover news he doesn't like. He suspended Donny O'Sullivan. Yep. Have, you, have you ever seen Donny O'Sullivan? He's like, he's like a cuddly little teddy bear who just speaks the truth. Like that's his job is to kind of fact check and, and report the truth. He's also, in the last 24 hours, he's picked a fight with AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And uh, I tweeted to him and I said, dude, do not take on AOC. She will destroy you. Yeah, but his base is anti-AOC, so it's perfect for him. That's fine, but but he's he, he's, he cannot match wits with AOC. She's Part. too smart and too quick nope. and too biting. And, and he's, you know, his response to her was something like, you know, you first or, oh yeah. Like, I mean, it was the equivalent of, you know, I know you are, but what am I? Like, it was so stupid and juvenile, because that's, that's what he is right now. But and he's I, destroying Tesla, too, by the way. Let's just put that and in And his there. own wealth. I mean, it's just, he's a fucking narcissist billionaire who everybody licked his ass for how many years, told him he's the smartest motherfucker in the room, right? And now he's, he's believing the hype. It seems to me that everybody should start tweeting about his Gulfstream with the tail number N628TS. <laughs> that's N628TS. And make sure you tweet exactly where the plane is because you can find that information all over the internet on multiple plane trackers you know my personal feeling i i, I want to say this I, my personal feeling is like that kind of i get that that there could be the perception of a safety risk in that stuff i'm fine with that i think we've gotten to a place in this country where like anything is okay and and there's certain things that i think should be off limits however it just depends on who it is and who's in, it involves what that person is doing you know, when the person who is claiming, oh, safety issues, oh, it's just, I, I can't allow this to happen, blah, blah, blah. It, when he's the one who's spreading conspiracies about Paul Pelosi or saying, you know, my pronouns are in, indict Fauci, like when he's inciting what he knows is, is hatred and potential acts of violence against someone like Fauci who's had to get bodyguards because of death threats, that guy doesn't deserve the concern about flight safety. No, he likes punching down. And his former head of safety and security, Yoel Roth, uh, he accused of being a pedophile. And so Yoel Roth had to leave his home. Yeah. He is no longer able to stay in his house. He doesn't have federal security guards like Fauci does. Well, I have this theory. It's kind of sci-fi-ish. It may make me seem crazy right now, but it may be proven true in about a year. And that is, I mean, first of all, have you ever seen Trump and Musk in the, in the, in the same room together at the same time? <laughs> Right. We haven't. We haven't. We've seen Trump with Jeffrey Epstein. We've seen Musk with Jeffrey Epstein, but we've never seen Trump and Musk in the same room. So as Trump is about to fade from the political earth, I feel like there's some like vaporization thing happening, like through osmosis, the essence, the soul, if he has one or whatever's left of it, 
of Trump is kind of like shifting into, and those of you who can't see me right now, I'm like moving my hands in a, in a very shifting kind of way. Like it's, he's transitioning so that as Trump is going to be gone, but then we'll have him in, in Musk. Because if you notice, everything Musk does is exactly what we hate about Trump. It's literally, you could take everything, every tweet, every statement, every complaint, everything, every insecurity, every single goddamn thing about Musk. Change the name from Musk to Trump, and it all applies. So that's my theory, kids. You laugh now. <laughs> Nin 2015, I said Trump was Hitler. Huffington Post wouldn't print my article. So now, that means Elon Musk is going to run in 2024? I don't know where it goes. I think like that's the next, like if this was a TV series, like I'm, I'm only into like episode two where like episodes three through eight go. I don't know, but I do know that I've never seen Trump and Musk in the same. This is an I awful. Leave, I want to leave it on that. This is an awful version of stranger things. <laughs> nice. Well, we will close on that and very excitedly bring out uh, our guest, Jennifer Palmieri. She is a co-host of my favorite show, Showtime's The Circus, and the author of the number one New York Times bestselling book, Dear Madam President, and the book She Proclaims, Our Declaration of Independence from a Man's World. She's a leading political and communications strategist, having served as President Obama's White House communications director. That was a cool job. And head of communications for Hillary Clinton's 2016 presidential campaign, an even cooler job. Prior to joining the Obama White House, she was president of the Center for American Progress Action Fund the advocacy arm for premier progressive think tank. She was also national press secretary for the Democratic Party, White House deputy press secretary for President Bill Clinton, another cool job, and national press secretary for the 2004 John Edwards for President campaign. I don't know how cool that job was, but... <laughs> Good <laughs> maybe, hair. Maybe in the... Yes. Well, we got two Americas out of that, so that was important. So very excited to bring her in. Jennifer, welcome to the back room. Good to be with you, Andy. Thanks for having me. So we in the back room like to try to get uh, a window into people's souls. And so before we get into the heavier conversations, <laughs> so one of the ways we do that is we ask two questions, one at the beginning, one at the end. The first one is, are you a dog or a cat person? Oh, I'm a dog person. You said that <laughs> quick and emphatically. I did. Yeah. So no cats I ever? I had, uh, we had a cat when I was growing up. We had a, a stray that... Um, came in I think we were, we were living in Pascagoula Mississippi and we had a stray that came into our life and she uh, stayed my dad was in the Navy she stayed with us for two moves um she had epilepsy poor thing um and uh uh yeah a lot a lot of care went into that cat and eventually kind of walked away from us uh when she was very old um in California two moves later so uh, we also had two dogs at the time, but, um, yeah, very much a dog person. Okay. We had, uh, your, your circus, uh, pal, Tim on here a couple of weeks ago and, uh, yeah. he was like, oh my God, I, I pretty much hate both. <laughs> so <laughs> hilarious. he's like, they just, all they do is like take and they cause trouble and like, nope. Uh, I, oh I'll go, he said, I'll go God, to a zoo. If I want to see animals, I'll go to a zoo. <laughs> That's. That makes me so sad for him. Doesn't see the all the love that puppies yeah, was, bring. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he was being honest. Um, yeah. I want to yeah. ask you about Mississippi in a second, but I just want to say I love the circus. It is my favorite Yay! show on television. Uh, I have a teenage daughter, and she often watches it with me, and I drive her crazy because I pretend that I'm in the show. That's how much I love it. 
So like at the beginning when all you guys are meeting at the restaurant, I'm like, hey, I'm not yeah. feeling well. Like I'm, I'm working from home tonight. But I hope. And she's like, Dad, you know, you know, how you can always get a teenager. They're like, Dad, you don't know these people. And I'm like, No, I do. I, it's just like I can't be. I do, They're I not do. your friends. They don't know you. But it is an amazing show. Um, such an amazing show. It just everything about it is great, and I love watching it. And Thank you. I'm super. I'm super proud. I mean, it is like. I feel super lucky to be part of it, super proud of the product. And uh, everybody who works on that show is like the best in the world at what they do. And it would never work if that were not uh, true. And like super grateful people keep, people, people keep coming back. Um, it's very hard to do, but I think just about everybody who works on the show loves it and is really proud of it. Well, I'm gonna make a shameless pitch. I happen to be a partner in the candy store in Rhinebeck, New York. Uh, if you guys ever wanna have your little opening show oh this is an excellent chat idea. yeah and a candy store in rhinebeck yeah. you let me know also and by the way the hudson valley is now it's now a battleground so yeah it's a per, it, it is a, legit... a pat ryan our congressman so he, he's our he's our guy yeah um it's there's a legit political reason to be going there yeah yeah no so if yeah. you ever want to do it just let me know mississippi well okay. i mean you are such a strong democratic force you've worked your life in politics as a democratic strategist uh mississippi not known as a bastion of of democratic politics uh what was it like growing up there i'm curious about your family if what, what affiliation they had yeah. and, and like at what moment uh, did the young Jennifer in Mississippi go, check, <laughs> check, please. This is not where my politics no, well, are. I, yeah. So that didn't happen. Yeah. So um, what the way that all came up. So my dad was in the Navy and we uh, I'm the youngest of four and we were stationed. I was born in Pascagoula uh, when the Mississippi uh, on the Gulf Coast. Um, so I was born there and uh, lived there until I was three moved away for a couple of years, came back and uh, stayed there until I was eight. And my parents actually, both who are from the Northeast, my dad uh, was born in the Bronx, grew up in Westchester County. Um, you know, uh, yeah, he grew up in Larchmont, um, went to the Maranek High School. Oh, wow. Uh, and uh, my mom, my mom is from the North Shore of Boston, Swampskit. And so they're, you know, very uh, New England. And, but, they uh, actually bought a house. My dad was going to retire from the Navy and we were going to stay there and um, went back there for that purpose of uh, thinking that that was going to be our permanent uh, residence. And uh, they were very surprised. My parents were very surprised to like it. Uh, but it is a um, I'm still friends with people from um, from Pascagoula. They are definitely all Republicans. Um, not all necessarily Trump Republicans, but um, uh, you know, it it is uh, it's just kind of walled off from the rest of not not other South Eastern states, but it's kind of walled off um, politically from the rest of the country. Partly because Democrats just haven't invested a lot there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really kind of an abomination. I think there's a uh, it's the it's the poorest state in the country. Um, it has one of the, if not the highest African-American populations in the um, in the country. And I think that, um, you know, you really, Democrats um, care about uh, the, uh, you know, lives of uh, people living in poverty. We should be spending more money and time in Mississippi. Uh, and 
I, but we went to California for, I was, uh, after, um, after that, um, we were in South Carolina for a couple of years and moved to California. And I went to, I was lucky to go to high school in Santa Cruz County. Um, and Leon Panetta was my congressman. And when I was in college, I went to college at American University, I started interning for Leon. And that was when I became a Democrat, was um, working for him and just, uh, he was just, I'm just so lucky, like talk about a model public servant. Um, you know, someone who served in Congress, two presidential administrations, CIA, Secretary of Defense. Uh, and it was that time I just saw the, I felt like Democrats were the ones that solved the problems. Democrats were the ones that weren't satisfied with things the way they were. Democrats were the ones that were like challenging to make things mm -hmm. uh, better. And that's what I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And what was the, when was it that you, you know, I guess went through college or whatever. At what point did you decide politics is for me? I, I want to be in this game. In Pascagoula, actually, <laughs> because um, uh, my mother's, one of my mother's closest friends, um, uh, her, her name was Ann Webb and her husband, Davis Webb, was campaign manager for Trent Lott's first congressional race. And Trent had been a Democrat working for William Colmer, who was the local congressman, who was also a Democrat. Um, and Trent, um, so this was like 19, I think it was a special election. It might've been like 73, it was either 72 or 73. I had the sense that Lott, I think Colmer died in office and Lott ran to succeed him. So either 72 or 73. And, um, uh, Trent at that point in like what became a trend, uh, switched parties to run as a Republican, you know, and at that point, Republicans, you know, left over from the days of Lincoln, the Republican mm -hmm. Party was not popular, was, you know, still um, not that popular in the South. He had a lot of Dixiecrats, the Democrats, mm -hmm. the conservative Democrats that were uh, conservative Southerners that were, Dixie, were Democrats. And uh, my mother volunteered on his campaign. And uh, the campaign headquarters was a double wide trailer in the Rexall drugstore parking lot. Uh, the Rexall drugstore in Pascagoula was like the center of town. It was beautiful. One of those neat old fashioned pharmacies with like a soda fountain and mm -hmm. like hardwood floors. And actually, it's funny, Trent Lott used to talk about like how he would go there to see what's on people's minds. This is later as, as a senator. And he would talk about how people did. And at the Rexall drugstore in Pascagoula were against the death tax. And Jackie Combs was at the Washington Wall Street Journal at that point was like bullshit. They're talking about that and and took it convinced the Wall Street Journal to let her go to Pascagoula to spend a day at the Rexall drugstore and uh, see if, in fact, they were talking about the death tax uh, at the uh, soda fountain there. And they were not, she found. Um, but uh, the yeah, but it was the, the campaign at first was a double wide trailer there. And my mom was a volunteer coordinator and she would, so she put me in like a Trent Lott sandwich board and like would put me out in front of Jerry Lee's supermarket to pass out pamphlets, have me and my sisters and friends like knock on people's doors. And so I started liking politics then. And Lott, uh, when he got to Congress was um, part of, I think, I think he was on Judiciary Committee. He may have been on the Impeachment Committee, but at any rate, either way, he had to take a stand early on, um, got involved early on on impeachment. 
of Nixon and uh, Watergate. And that got me very interested in Watergate. And I read All the President's Men when I was 10 <laughs> and wow. hooked on politics ever since. Yeah. And when I worked for Leon Panetta, when he was White House Chief of Staff, I um, I was Leon's assistant in the um, in the chief staff's office. And there was one of the government shutdowns happening. And Lott was the Senate Majority Leader, and he called to talk to Leon. And so I go to tell him, you know, Lott's on the phone, and he's like, no, like, I can't, I can't deal with him right now, you know. So I was like, Senator, uh, Leon's not available, can I have a call back? He's like, well, you know, I'll just hold. <laughs> and I was like, oh, boy. So it's... I went into Leon, I was like, he's... Isn't that such a power move? Yeah, no, it's Senate, so funny. Like the little kids. Senate majority leader. Yeah, no. Look, I mean, look. You've, you've. You, it's not a surprise given the career you've had. I mean, uh, those those childhood moments are what shapes us. As you know, this may come as yeah, a shock to people, yeah. but when I was like eight years old, maybe let's see, uh, let's see, I was born in '59. Nixon was '68, uh, so yeah, about eight years, nine years old. Um, I, you know, I was hanging out at his you know local campaign office and i was getting buttons and passing them yeah. out i was like oh, nine years yeah, old yeah, yeah, yeah. and and stumping for nixon like i can't i look back on that oh, now cool. and then yeah. i got to meet him in an airport once and that was a big a big thrill but i, I think if you're obsessed with politics uh at that yeah. age like you were it, you kind of have to end up on some level in that world because that you can't repress that stuff. Like you're either interested in that. I just always and it doesn't knew go away. It was what I was going to do. Yeah, yeah, always was going to do. Yeah. So you had yeah. you've worked on but some Trent amazing. Was very he was very he was very disappointed to learn that I had become a red. I, I I was like had to entertain him on the phone, and so I was like, well, Senator, um, I actually know you because my mom and I lived we lived in Pascagoula. My mom worked on your first campaign, and I have photos of us together on Halloween and my Trent Lott sandwich board. And he's like. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to you that you went so far astray? I was like, well, yeah, well I, I found Jesus is what happened. Know, to we me. moved to we moved to California, and I started working for Leon, and that's how I. He's like, oh, well, Leon's a good guy. So, well, you you've worked on some amazing campaigns. Um, you you know you you worked for Bill Clinton, um, Obama, uh, mm -hmm. but the the one that fascinates me the most, and I think fascinates a lot of people from various perspectives, is. You know your involvement uh, with Hillary in 2016. Uh, before I ask any questions, I just want to go on record and say I was firmly with her. I am still with her. <laughs> I would lay down in traffic for Thank her you. if she ever ran again. Yeah. Uh, but I think because of that, I, I share a lot of frustrations that a lot of Hillary people uh, did uh, and still have um, uh, because she was not just the most, uh, probably the most qualified candidate in history. But she probably would have gone on to become one of the greatest presidents in history. And through a yeah. crazy confluence of things that happened, she didn't become president. That, sh that glass ceiling, uh, ceiling never was shattered. And I think I've read somewhere that, you, you know, you've said that, you know, white, everyone from like white supremacists within the Trump campaign and the email scandal, you know, Comey. Uh, political journalists, mm -hmm. also the media. Uh, I believe sexism had a huge part of that. Bernie Sanders, I think, had a... So I blame all of it. But I want to ask you, you know, what do you say to folks like me who also say, you know, on some level, I think we'd have to hold, you know, the candidate a, a little accountable too. Um, you know, what, what, looking back, what could have been done differently that would have addressed some of the concerns 
Like, I live in Manhattan. I, I spoke to a lot of, like, Upper West Side women who didn't like Hillary. Let me guess. A phenomenon. Let me stop you. Let me stop you. Let me, they said, you know what? There's just something about her I don't like. Yeah. But that's the thing. It's yeah. like, what is that thing? Like, but the opposite is true of gender. Bill. That is gender. That is gender. That is gender. That is gender. And it doesn't mean, I mean, this is what I came into. Like, I walked into that campaign not thinking it was that big of a deal or going to be hard to elect the first woman president. Right? Like, we had elected the first black president. And given our history with race in this country, I thought that was a far harder thing. I was like, and I wasn't even motivated to be on that campaign like the first woman president. I just thought Hillary was the best person for the job. I'd been working in politics for, you know, 20 years at that point. And all of a sudden, none of the controls worked the same. And I felt like I'd been driving a bus for 20 years. And all of a sudden, I got in a new bus and the brakes didn't work. Or when hmm. you pressed on the accelerator, you like, st- I was like, what is happening? Um, and it was, we just kept walking into buzzsaw after buzzsaw after buzzsaw. Um, and I don't, and, and I, and I think that gender was at the root of it, or I guess more to be more precise, um, and generous to all of us. It was like change was at the, at the root of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't think it means that like everybody, you know, including like the women that you're talking about on the upper West side or the said or wherever you said, um, is sexist or doesn't want women to succeed it's just not something we recognize right like we recognize we recognize male politicians male candidates right away like you know look at for example how pete Buttigieg and beto O'Rourke, both who um i know a little bit are really great guys really talented public servants just awesome but like how like right away and neither obviously neither one of them became president but right away we like get it we like see it we you know we uh people are excited about their candidacies these like young promising men and it's because we have seen their story play out time and time again they remind us of rfk they remind us of jfk they remind us of a young bill clinton you know Mm -hmm. and so it all makes sense to us and i think when you see even with as much as far as progress as women have made in the world it's still a radical idea in the scope of human history for a woman to be in charge and to be in charge of this country in particular. And Hillary, even though like she's been around for, I think part of the problem was she'd been around for so long with so much part of the establishment. It was hard to see her as something exciting and new, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, she has always from the time she first came to the public's attention, which was as an undergrad, um, and she was on the cover of Life magazine for this very provocative, very, very provocative speech she gave at commencement at Wellesley. Um, she's been someone who sort of stepped outside of the norm, the box that women have normally been in. She didn't change her name when she married Bill Clinton. She was a lawyer. She made more money than her husband. She was a first lady in the West Wing who got involved in politics. She was a first lady who ran for the Senate. And just, it's like, even though it sounds like stuff that we're all happy for a woman to see do, it's just a little vexing. It's a little different. It's a little confounding. Does it make sense to us? There's just something about it we don't like and we can't quite put our finger on it because we just don't like recognize it and so that i think hillary was not a perfect candidate she doesn't like you know that is not she likes the governing side some people love the campaigning side she Mm -hmm. likes the governing side more 
um, you know, her husband is like better at this than she is. Barack Obama's better at that part of it than she, than she is. She readily admits those. Any other person would have survived what she, you know, the flaw, the, the, the flaws of the candidate, right? Mm-hmm. But I just, I think it was just too, and we, you know, we almost made it, right? We very nearly almost made it. We very nearly almost elected a woman, even with all of this stuff coming at us. But, um, and I don't think it's possible really to go back and say, well, if we had done X, Y, or Z differently, it would have been different when you lose by so little, that could be, that's everything, right? Um, But I also think that we now, after we look at women candidates, after what she went through, the result, we do look at, we do just, our our whole, our perspective has really changed. Um, And what's possible, now for many candidates just wasn't possible then yeah uh, you know the, it, you mentioned the thing the x factor thing that naturally came to bill and that yeah. came to obama and she's you know she's there's always been the criticism that she doesn't have that that you know in a, in a room full of people she's magic she's unbelievable but she, it that doesn't come across on tv and i think right. you know we, we've now right. learned from you know, 45, that, that, that's what a lot of people, you know, even on the democratic side, that's, that's, that telegenic quality is is so important. It started with Kennedy, I guess, but. Well, I think, I think, I think it's true for all human history. People gravitate towards leaders they relate to and they gravitate towards leaders they want to be like and be with saying like, I can't believe that we want to elect our, we elect our leaders by saying who we want to have a beer with. That is what we do. Okay. (laughs) like Stop fighting it. That is what we do. And I think it's because we want, we want, what's, what, let's get underneath that. Like what's in that? What is in that is someone who respects me, right? Because you're going to sit down and have a beer with somebody that, you know, you're not going to sit down and have a beer with somebody you don't respect, respects me, relates to me, cares enough about me, um, and is like just fun to be around, right? So we, we look particularly in America where we don't have royalty, we don't, you know, we look for ourselves to be reflected in um, our leaders. And I think that's why that kind of X factor is so, um, is so important. Mm-hmm. For, and what about like, you know, the, 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 there was criticism that she didn't visit certain states, she didn't visit states, certain states enough. Like if you could turn the clock back, because there's always things you could change. Is there something in particular that you'd say, you know, we would have changed that. Um, I know it's hard to be self-critical and I'm putting you on the spot, but. No, no, I, I refuse, frankly, I just, I kind of refuse to be uh, critical because what, what you don't, what people don't understand is why do you think going more to Michigan or Wisconsin or Pennsylvania would have helped? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I'm not saying I personally believe that, but that's no, that's no, been no. The... But I'm just like, why? Yeah, it's like we went to Pennsylvania constantly. Mm-hmm. We spent a ton of time Pennsylvania. The two states we went to the most were Pennsylvania and Florida, I believe, and we lost Pennsylvania by six points. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, it just it's fodder for uh, the opposition. Right? You so know, that's it's all like it so it's like it is. But what people misunderstand is assuming that going somewhere means you're going to do better. Right. Well, in politics, exactly. as you know, there's a, there's, you know, there's a lot of assumptions like that if I, you do we, this. When, when I know. went, to, when I, right. So but people like, this is, it's something useful people to know. Like when I went to, when I worked 
in Ohio for John Kerry in 2004, whenever he came, numbers went down. Mm-hmm. So we said John Edwards to that state, not John Kerry. Yeah. Well, I mean, just look at um, look at the midterms. Right. The places, you know, if you keep Trump away, <laughs> you know, right, you'll so do better. So it's like, so it is. It's a. I don't like to put a thing. I mean, you know, six years ago, so I get asked this question all all the time, and I don't like to answer it with a specific thing like. Um, because with a, with a, with a, a specific easy answer that kind of lets the rest of it off the hook, mm-hmm. because I just don't believe elections are that way. I kind of think they are going to be what they are going to be, and to suggest that there was one thing you could do differently mm-hmm. kind of discounts how alienated, angry people in America felt at that time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like part, like one of my huge takeaways from that election was you can't sit in a pollster's laboratory or a focus group, you know, or focus group moderators laboratory or a cable uh, set in New York or Washington or the DNC or at the RNC and think that you can control what people want, believe and think like you can't do that. Americans are going to, Americans are smart. They're going to think and believe and desire what it is that they, what they, that they want. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, you know, the country, I mean, I'll tell you, like when we were out, even as early as 15, you could feel like something different was happening. And like, there was a anger roiling reckoning across the board, all demographics, you know, um, mostly, uh, you know, mostly lower incomes, but just like all over the country. And I felt like our campaign and the Trump campaign sort of ironically were the first to see it. They were able to tap into it. Um, you know, by the time we, you know, by the time a presidential campaign gets to a place like that, either you're the thing that they want mm-hmm. or you're not. and it's going to be too late to kind of address it, which is why too late. You know, I, I remember in particular, we went to Western Pennsylvania, went to Johnstown and just terrible, horrible locker up protests, like everywhere we went. And, you know, and I remember talking to Hillary about it and being like, because normally Hillary is great, but people she doesn't agree with. She goes and talks to people um, kind of, you know, listens, hears them out. She usually has good solutions. People like her personally, as you noted, like earlier, one-on-one. Um, and I was like, these people, like, we can't talk to these people. They can't hear you. Like, it is way too late. It is way, it is a decade too late. Like they have been, they are, they are in their, you know, people, all of us, um, it's not to like blame the people of Johnstown. All of us are in our own bubbles. You know, the time Fox News was a thing, they were just listening to Fox News. And, you know, you can't, and then you're like, okay, so then we were in a situation of let's talk to the people who will listen to us, right? That's what you got to do. And made the best calls about, you know, talking, uh, uh, trying to talk to the people that uh, would listen to us. And in the end, like, 
in the end, it wasn't enough. Yeah. Well, look, that was a heartbreaking uh, election. Uh, I mean, I, I like to play devil's advocate, but the truth is, as you say, there there was so many intangible, uh, so many tangible things that happened from the propaganda that Trump himself spread to the things you've yeah. cited in the past to the, the sexism and, people, and, 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 and what Bernie and, and did people, at the end, like, you know, his, his failure to, to, to throw in the towel because he found rock stardom that he'd never had in his, in his career. Yeah. But like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't blame him. I blame him. And like, he ran his race, he ran his race all the way to the end. That's like what you do in democracy, mm-hmm. you know, like good for him. That is, it is, it just in the end, it just in the end ended it in the end it ended up being it being too much and any like one thing could have changed it but do you think the comey thing could have changed it i mean that that of all the the uh, yeah 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 i think that would have that would have yeah if we had not like spent the last 11 days like cratering Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i just could not believe i was like I, I can't believe we're spending the last ten days talking about emails. Like I, I, I yeah, like, no, I, I can't imagine I, what it was like for you guys uh, to just get to Hillary that point. Although wasn't surprised, she was not surprised. Mm-hmm. She was like, when I told her, she was like, she just kind of smiled and shook her head, and I was like, what? She's like, I knew we weren't done. Well, fast right wing conspiracy. I knew, I knew, I was like, I knew we weren't done. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I knew, I knew this wasn't going away. Um, well, look, the truth is she uh, won the popular vote. But like all of that, but it's like, there's all of that stuff, but it's like the, the, pro- the question, um, but it, it was not a normal, obviously it was not a normal election well outside of anything having to do with Hillary or, you know, or, or gender. It was, you know, it was um, the country, uh, you know, I think had to kind of go through this reckoning and, you know, every generation gets tested on democracy and we are being tested in a really big way. Um, she could have, you know, I do sometimes wonder if she had one, then what? Like, would we, would this, would we have avoided the sort of rupture that happened? Or was that always gonna come, you mm. know, like just delayed? You know, I think it just would have been what it what it was that America is ugly in many ways, but the ugliness often and the ugly people often just live under a rock. I mean, Trump went and you know just lifted the rock. Yeah, come on out, you know. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But um, I'm not sure if we could have kept the rock down. I don't know. I wonder about that a lot. Yeah. yeah, Now, um, so speaking of Trump, I'm sure you spent all morning uh, online buying your digital Trump cards. Oh my God! Is that the craziest thing you've ever seen? Like it just never. There's it's no just, bottom it, to the insanity. <laughs> it's infuriating. It's infuriating to me, her, uh, to 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 see stuff like that, and then to see Republicans now walk away from him. Um, like I was like, it's that easy. It oh. it was it was that easy all along. You couldn't have like going to do that now. I mean, the NFT stuff is crazy, but it's not. Not putting kids it's in cages, anymore. right? I mean, there's so many other things that people could have gotten upset cages. with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and like, and it's just you know to see like the New York Post turn against him, Fox News to some mm-hmm. degree, some degree turn against him, and you know the we the Republican senators to say they're not sure he's right for, and it's like it was this easy, you all. You made him as powerful as he as, as he became. You did that. 
you like you willed that into being and it didn't have to happen and it is just kind of wild and infuriating to see it do you think he's done and, at this know. point because we've been there before with him i kind of uh we've been before he has not shown me anything in the last month to suggest that he's capable of putting himself on a comeback path um I went to a rally in Dayton um, the night before the election, you know, just in November, and he was um, um, and he talked for two hours and all he did was air his own grievances about how he's being treated. And the crowd was not into it. He when he came on stage, right before he came on stage, they showed a video of Tish James, you know, in New York. Uh, the AG who uh, has this, you know, lawsuit against his company and um, talking about how she was racist, showing a video of her saying, like, we're going to get that jackass. I think, unfortunately, there's a, her, there's a footage, some kind of footage similar to that, can, close to what I just said, um, and stuff about the raid at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, there's air quotes, friends, about the raid at Mar-a-Lago. And I was like, oh, boy, this is going to get the crowd going and no reaction no reaction from the crowd at all he started speaking they were excited to see him they were super excited for the plane to pull up there was about some people said seven thousand people some people said ten thousand i'd gone to a john fetterman rally a couple days ago that seventy five hundred people there were more people at this thing than there were at the fetterman rally so i think it was probably closer to 10. um people have been waiting for five hours super excited and they're happy to see the plane pull up they're happy to see him get off and then they sat down. They sat down in their chairs. It was something I'd never seen in a Trump rally. And he just complained about himself for two hours. And at the end of the two hours, he read the speech he was supposed to give quickly. And people started leaving right away. Right? Like, even while he was, like, the beginning of his speech, they're just not into it. How much of his base, if you if you think his, if you look at his base as everyone who voted for him in 16, ranging from the, 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 the crazy, you know, pedophile people to... You know the the doctor mm-hmm. who just wants to pay less taxes. How much of that base do you think he's lost? Is it an, and is it enough to move a needle going forward? It's just it's, it's anecdotal, but it does feel like that to me. When I've talked to uh, you know people that support, and that's the great thing about. Um, the job I have now is like you go to, you know, I get to spend time going to a lot of red parts of the country and, you know, talking to people there. Um, they, I think what people are looking for in this kind of leadership um, is uh, someone who is speaking about the concerns that they have and is able to, you know, I think that that is what he was good at in 16, right? He was good at, like, he had a lot of grievances. He was good at making them the grievances that people had in their own lives, feeling left out, not respected. Um, and what he's doing now is he's just talking about himself and he's not talking about them at all. And, and selling cards. Be- I mean, it's that's just... Bonkers. Selling cars, it doesn't seem to be, yeah, it just doesn't seem to be resonating. I talked to, there's one guy I talked to in Marjorie Taylor Greene's district um, that named Michael, who um, was uh, pretty thoughtful about this stuff. And I think it's illuminating people who 
don't spend a lot of time talking to Marjorie Taylor Greene supporters to hear what he had to say, which was, I, you know, I asked him about her and he does, he's like, I do support her. And just like, and most people I talked to in her district, he was like, I don't love everything about her. You know, I don't love all of it. Some of it's too much. I get it. He's like, but you people uh, just pick at, you know, pick at the things that, you know, she says that you don't like. And, and he said, you know, when she got, I asked him about when she got stripped of her committee assignments. And he said, you know, I felt like when that happened, I felt like I didn't have a voice. I felt like I didn't matter. He said, I, you know, I drive a truck for a living. Um, she's a smart lady. She went to college. She had a business. And if the Democrats are going to do that to her, what must they think of somebody like me? Right. Well, that's a valid point from a voter's perspective. What do so you think? It's like that is like. So, but I, but Trump's not tapping into that anymore. No, you know. So that's why I feel like he's not going to survive. What do you think is going to happen in the House? Speaking of uh, Madge uh, and her influence, and do you oh, think is it, is McCarthy, in your opinion, going to eke out enough votes, uh, which really would be irrelevant because she seems like she would be pulling the strings anyway if if that happened. But it's going to be chaotic, yeah, I mean, right? For two years, a lot of chaos ahead of, ahead of us. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. He, he doesn't have a he doesn't he doesn't even have a backup plan right his only plan is is like only Kevin okay right uh that's their that's their strategy only Kevin can win and they have buttons that say that um and that is you know I remember when only Jeb could win right I'm old enough to remember that um and so I think it could be true chaos I think it's probably true that no one else could get 218 votes. It doesn't mean that McCarthy can. It still doesn't mean that he can do it, right? So I, I think January third, when they when they come back in and they have to have this vote about whether or not he's actually going to be this speaker, it could be a real, it could that could be a real shit show. Like that could really not work out. And then I think he's going to have an incredibly difficult time, um, you know, for the next two for the next two years and. John Boehner and Paul Ryan did not have a lot of success in managing that caucus when they had a majority and trying to get things done when they had a majority, uh, and even when Trump was in office. And I think Kevin McCarthy is going to have an even harder time. And they're, you know, the thing that they can do is investigate. And I think that that is going to backfire big time with the American public, like it did on Benghazi. It did with uh, Clinton's impeachment. Um, and I've seen this movie twice before in 94 and in 2010 when the Republicans took over the House and both times it ended up with Democratic presidents being reelected. Mm -hmm. So do you, I don't see any reason why that doesn't happen again. So do you the most likely thing to happen is the is the GOP dead or dying or is this just like a temporary broken. illness? I don't know. Um it surprised um i think it was broken before trump i think that you know they they had for a long time had been courting voters that had um uh didn't align you know they didn't align with their um policies right um policies of like not a lot of spending and um, lower taxes for rich people um, let a lot of, you know, have a history of letting racism and homophobia and misogyny play a role in their politics. And it became a combustible mix that blew up in their face in 2016. And, 
you know, for Trump kind of papered over those problems. And now I, you know, and now, and now they're really having to face them. Um, and you can see like they got, they had a historically bad midterms. I don't think we appreciate just how bad it was. Mm-hmm. 1934 is the last time this happened. Mm-hmm. 1934. There were 96 senators the last time a party in power picked up a Senate seat in the first presidential midterm. It was, there were only 96 senators. That is like how big a deal. So it's like what Trump unleashed, but I don't think it's right, right to say quite that, like for our discussion about 2016, what this like royally in America unleashed in the country is as big a force as the Great Depression, right? Like it is as big a force as that. Um, I thought the Republican Party was dead. The fact that enough people weirdly voted for Democrats <laughs> um, makes me think, uh, you know, maybe they're, you know, maybe Liz Cheney's got a chance at like taking this party back over the long term. But I, I think what's more, it seems what's more likely to happen is something else. Is it just takes a long time to. It takes another 10 years or so to like weed out these. Mm-hmm. So speaking of, uh, of 24, you mentioned Cheney. Yeah, everybody's obviously talking yeah. about DeSantis. He's the heir apparent. He's the he's the new kid in town who's going to grab all the Trump people because he's, yeah, you know, yeah, he's yeah, smarter yeah, yeah, yeah. and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, and we were talking about this in the room before the show started today. You know, two years is a long time, you know, mm-hmm. between now and, and the election. And I'm really interested in your perspective as a, as a strategist, you know, because we've seen this happen so many times in history where, like, the, the person who's, like, the, the star at the beginning of the, of the race is nowhere near the, you know, the, the front at the end of the race. Like, are there people like Yunkin and Sununu, others who no one's really talking about all that much right now because DeSantis is getting all the, yeah. all the juice? But... What do you think is going to happen ultimately? Like, we're not even sure DeSantis is going to enter the race. He might just be a giant chump who's not who's afraid to take on Trump, right? There's that possibility. So what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, who, who do you true. think might actually become the nominee that no one's really talking about all that much now? I think you're right that it's two years out. It's never the, the issue that animates the midterms. is never, it's, you know, it's usually not the, the issue that animates the um presidential primaries so to think that like because you know by the way DeSantis is sort of like own the libs strategy that got him reelected in Florida worked absolutely nowhere and and no and no other state mm-hmm. um in 2022 so i do have doubts um i do have doubts about him he is popular i'll tell you like a trump rallies people you know, Trump criticized Ron DeSantis once at a Trump rally, called him Ron DeSanctimonious. He never did it again because it got no reaction because people like Ron DeSantis. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't, it, it depends on how, I don't know. It depends on how many there are. I don't, I think somebody like Yunkin is more likely to be acceptable than somebody like Cheney or my governor, Larry Hogan, who mm-hmm. was another never Trump Republican, or Asa Hutchinson, another uh, not quite never Trump Republican, but another uh, more conventional Republican who may also run. Um, there's the lane, you know, and I think the never Trump people are going to have a hard, they're going to have a hard time finding majority. The 
you know, middle, the people who try to have it both ways, which is not awesome, like Glenn Youngkin, um, mm-hmm. try to be like snuggly to Trump when he needs to be and distance him when he doesn't. Um, you know, they may have uh, they may have a better shot, but it's still like when you look at the Republican primary process, it seems likely to the process itself seems likely to produce a nominee that kind of like the nominees in 2022 were had been moved so far to the right that they were unpalatable to the public so i'm relatively bullish on 24 Mm -hmm. and what about biden i mean i know this week there's been a lot of talk that like you know he's reinvigorated his polling is way up as trump's is is cratering um uh, his wife, Jill, uh, made some uh, statements that got people excited about her support for another run. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I think he's one of the most successful, productive presidents in history. I don't get when fellow Democrats yeah. are, you know, saying, oh, he, she, he should step aside. Like, I mean, that's the craziest talk ever. But um, I, I don't. It's I, very Democrat, though. It's very Democrat. Well, we've always been our own worst enemies, haven't we? Um, it's like we fret, but also, but also, thanks to the Democrats fretting and paying attention to rules and abiding by rules and norms, we still have a republic. So I'm okay with it. Well, you know, it's funny. I had Stuart Stevens on here a few weeks ago, and you know, we were talking about Democrats messaging. Everybody's always saying, "Oh, the Democrats messaging is so horrible. We never, we can't speak like Republicans." And he said, "You know, if we just look yeah, at the last exactly. elections for like the last." four years or whatever like the messaging has worked right like democrats actually yeah, are doing yeah. what and saying what needs to be said to win and and winning is you know that's all that matters um trump but, made democrats great he Donald did trump made democrats great. again he made them he great did. again made, because again he made them great again because they we have had to like produce fantastic candidates that um, and all the groups have had to work together and build up new infrastructure and new infrastructure around voting and protecting the vote and suing people around the vote and getting new laws passed. And like they have created a democratic machine like I have never seen before. So, yeah, look, like, I, I that wrote, is all because of Donald Trump. I wrote something years ago that said, ultimately, we're going to look back on the Trump presidency and that aside from talking about what we just talked Mm -hmm. about, that he also united some Democrats and Republicans. That's going to be his legacy, that people like you and me, I mean, you know, like when when are we on the same side as Bill Crystal and, you know, folks like that and and Stuart Stevens and Rick Smith, uh, Rick Wilson, I mean, we we were on the same side. Liz Cheney is is stumping for Democrats. She was stumping for Democrats. I mean, who could have predicted that, right? So my last question know, to you know, is um, uh, the second about part. About Biden, about Biden running. Uh-huh. Um, I'm just not sure, you know, like everybody took his answer the day after the election to be like, oh, he's definitely running. And he put a lot of caveats around that. He put a lot of, I'm going to talk to my family. I'm going to, you know, so I think he'll probably, I think he will do it. Um, but, um, you know, I'm not sure. But, you know, you know, as a strategist, you, you've heard before the same thing as I've heard, which is like once somebody gets in the Oval Office, they never want to leave, right? Once you run right. for president, yeah, you hard. never want to not run for president. Um, the second part of our getting into someone's soul uh, is, yeah. is uh, music. Music is a window into people's soul. So I want to know who are oh, your God, top five to musical artists of all time? Top five. Stevie Nicks, Lucinda Williams. 
Um, Jason Isbell. Mm. All right. Very, very into Jason. Um, that's, you know, last 10 years, most important artists. And, and um, uh, that's what I listen to on repeat when I'm writing books or articles. Um, Springsteen. Um, and number five, Rustin Kelly. <laughs> Rustin, you know, you've never heard of Rustin Kelly, right? No, I haven't. There's a lot that people mentioned on this podcast when I asked that question that I have not heard of. Uh, fantastic. Uh, he's a relatively new, um, uh, relatively new, I like a Lyft driver in Nashville. I was driving me to the Ryman to see Jason Isbell, and I was like, if you like Jason, you gotta listen to this guy. Uh, he's known, unfortunately, he's most known as Casey Musgraves' ex husband. Oh, uh, okay. but uh, just yeah, uh, phenomenal, uh, songwriter, too. That's so, a good list. It is a very big deal in my life. I spend a lot of time traveling to cities I want to go to just to see shows that I want to see. That's awesome. And it's great very that, you know, deal. we're back at a place yeah, where we can awesome. see live music, which is very important. Yeah. Jennifer, yeah. thank you so yeah. much. You've been very generous with your time. Pleasure. Uh, I'm a big fan. Keep doing the work you do. And uh, yeah, love thanks. that the circus. Candy store, man. I want to come. <laughs> I, yeah, I want to get this there. I'm thank dead you. serious. So you've spread it around. Yeah, no, I am too. That sounds, that sounds very cool. That sounds very circus. We have coffees. We have pastries and baked goods and all kinds of stuff you guys can sit around chew the fat and chew some good tasty stuff all right thanks for uh, being with us okay my pleasure so there you have it episode 29 in the can we'd love to hear your thoughts so leave us a message at 845-307-7446 email us at backroomandy at gmail.com or tweet to me at andy osteroyd and please leave a review if you like the podcast those things are important I want to thank my co-producer, engineer, and editor, Maddie Rosenberg, associate producer, Jen Hamoud, Cricket Langell for our artwork, Andy Hollander for our kick-ass music, Patricia Wind and the Epicurean for the Backroom Studio, and a big thank you again to our guest, Jennifer Palmieri. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week. <laughs>